Amen. We, we have been just talking for a while. Of course, we were in Ecclesiastes for a number of weeks and uh, felt the Lord leading us last week. Do you remember what we talked about? That's a, that's a, that's a scary thing for a preacher to ask from the pulpit. Because if you're greeted with blank stares, you feel like you have got a great big F on the report card. Remember what we talked about last week? God is love. Maybe the most important thing that you could ever know about the Lord, God is, God is love. I want to follow up with that theme this morning. Jesus says to all of us, and he doesn't just say it, he shows it. I love you. I know that's, that's simple, but you know what? That is, that is powerful. I love you. That's what God says. He not only says it, but he shows it. He, he, he demonstrates his love for us. It hit my mind this morning. I was thinking about it with everybody that's here and, and many that are in the kingdom, many that are outside of the kingdom. We have those that are on the outside looking in, right? They're, they're surveying. They're trying to figure out where they fit into this picture, where Jesus fits into their life. And I was just, I was thinking about it today and reminded of the fact, I want you to know if you're on the outside looking in, all right, you're trying to discern and figure out what this thing is all about. You're maybe a little freaked out. That's okay. First time you come into contact with Pentecost, you get a little freaked out. Can I get an amen, somebody? And uh, I mean, it's, it's high energy. It's a little loud. <laughs> it's passionate. You got people with tears coming out of their eyes and people talking about miracles and then some dude running across the front of the building. It's <laughs> just like some dude talking in the back. You're like, man, I, I, I was raised Lutheran. I don't, I don't know what all these people are doing. Can I just say this? If you are here and you are trying to figure out what it's all about, can I just remind you today that, that Jesus loves you? He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to go to hell. Come on, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to help me a little bit, congregation, this morning. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. People say, how could a loving God send people to hell? First thing you got to know is God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Nobody, nobody, zero, zilch, nada, nobody. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Nobody does he want to go to hell. He wants everyone to go to heaven so bad that if you go to hell, you are going to have to go to hell over his dead body. If you go to hell, you're going to have to walk past an old rugged cross and a bloody crucified Savior whose liquid love is leaving his veins and hitting Judean soil with every drip of that blood whispering, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So you need to be reminded today that God loves you. Not only does he love you and he, does he say I love you, I think it's important to say I love you. Can you say that just together? Say I love you. I love you. Those are good words. Those are good words. They're flavorful words. They're good words. They're good words to say. There are people I know that, that and I've heard this firsthand testimony, that have lived their whole lives and never heard their father say 
I love you. You know what? Those are good words to say. Those are good words, and, and they're good words to say and really mean it. It's one thing to say it and not mean it. It's another thing to say it and mean it. And more importantly than the words that we say is the actions that we have. I'm so thankful that Jesus does love me, and he, and he communicates his love for humanity based on his actions. He so loved the world that he gave himself, and we thank God for that. We thank God for that. And all of us here today, I'm preaching primarily to the redeemed today. I, I am just here to remind us of the fact that God loves us. Amen? But can I also say that that love from God has got to grow beyond us being just recipients of it. We thank the Lord for that, don't we? I mean, that's the foundation of everything. God is love. You don't get that, you don't get anything. If you don't get that fundamental fact, you're not going to have anything. you got to know that God is love. you got to know that God loves you. But can I say that's the beginning. You've got to graduate beyond being loved by God, and you've got to graduate to a point that you can reciprocate that back to the Lord. And because of the magnanimous and wonderful love of God that has been shed abroad to us, we've got to be able to reflect that back to the God that loves us loved us. It's not enough for me to just be blessed, 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 blessed. It's not enough for me to just have the favor, favor, favor and the blessings of God upon my life and his love to be showered upon me over and over again. It is vitally important that I learn how to reciprocate back to the God who loved me the fact that I love him back. Amen. I'm preaching maturity to a Christian congregation. An immature congregation just says, love me, Jesus, love me, Jesus, love me, Jesus, love me, Jesus, and I'm good. I'm going to go back and live my own life the way that I want to live my life. That's immaturity. Maturity is, oh, God loves me. I'm so thankful God loves me. Now I want to love God back. You know the greatest commandment in the Bible for you is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Shema. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, and thou shalt love the commandment to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not just about him loving me. It starts with his love for me, but then it's reflected back in my love for God. Now I love God back. Okay, so here's my message today. I love you. Now I better qualify that. He loves us. But then we turn around and let the Lord know that, Lord, I love you. So the big question is, if I love God, how do I show that if I love God? I feel like entering into a nine-hour Bible study. No, it's not that complicated. It really isn't. There's two primary things. We were in 1 John last week. Do you remember? In 18 verses of Scripture, you have 32 references it's the most concentrated place in all the Bible where agape, where the love of God is used. In 1 John chapter number 4 through chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, we have 32 references to love, 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 love. God loves us. God is love. Twice, God is love. How do we know that we love God? And he goes into all this stuff. Number one is that if you love God, you are going to keep his commandments. Amen. Amen. This is what that means. Do you want to know, now that you have received the love of God into your life, do you want to know what God's love language is? Do you want to express back to the Lord love that he adequately and wonderfully receives? Do you want to know how to go about doing that? I'm so glad you do because I want to tell you. 
the way that you reciprocate back to God's love language is obedience. We talk about words of affirmation, physical touch, you know, gifts and acts of service and all these things. The way I can know, man, I know, I know my wife loves me. I know my husband loves me. I know, I know my daddy loves me. When he, when he says this or does this, that's our love language. God's love language is obedience. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. And he also made this statement. He said, and by the way, my commandments are not grievous. Do you know that every command of God that God gives to us is always going to work to our benefit? Because God knows what is best. I got to get into my message. All right, are you ready? I got to at least start my message here. So I love you. I love you. But another way that you show the love of God in your life is when you look around to others and say, I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. If you want to reflect the love of God in your life, you will reflect the love of God in your life by loving others. Mm, somebody said amen. The two main outgrowths of God love, God's love, is number one, keeping his commandments, and number two, loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Jesus, thank you for the word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your people. Holy Ghost, talk to us this morning. Give us open hearts. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be alive and connected. And I pray that you would speak to us today. Show us, demonstrate, oh God, out of the scripture. Help this to make sense. Let it be revelation. Let it be insight. Let it be helpful because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema, by the word of God. And I pray rhema would spring out today to every heart and life. Speak, Lord, what people need to hear for their lives in the now. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody said amen. So if you remember John, we talked about John last week. Remember uh, sun-baked John, calloused hands, strong man's man. He's, uh, he's, he's just a regular guy. He's just a guy. He's a guy that Jesus comes across and, you know, he's rough and tumble. He's rough around the edges. He's a real guy. And Jesus, so I'm so thankful today that Jesus reaches out for real people or there'd be hope for none of us. John was blue-collar man, blue-collar guy, regular old guy, just a guy. Guy going about his business, hot-headed. Remember, he was a son of Zebedee. Zebedee, Zebedee. He was a son of thunder. He was a hothead sometimes. In one moment, he could be getting it right. He could just be so on target. The next moment, Jesus would be looking at him. Just John. They come into a city with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans are half-breed. They're, you know, they're in many ways, they're, they, they weren't among the elite, and they come into this town, and Jesus walks through the town, and the Samaritans, they don't have a ticker tape parade. There isn't confetti flying through the air. They're not, they don't have white steeds with men with giant uh, uh, golden trumpets blaring that Jesus is here, Jesus. In fact, they're just kind of ignoring him. And John, just this regular old guy, gets ticked off about it. 
And he's like, okay, Jesus, why don't we just call down fire from heaven? You ever met anybody like that? Are you like that? This is why you cannot allow someone in the church to turn you off to Jesus because sometimes people that serve Jesus don't always reflect Jesus. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it should be like this. And Jesus has a really good way of putting the smack down on his children. And listen, if you live for God, there's going to be times that God gives you a spiritual spanking. And you know what? You deserve it. If you got it coming, don't you puff out your bottom lip. Don't you let great big old crocodile tears come out of the corner of your eyes. I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. I guess I'm not going to serve Jesus because Jesus whooped my butt and I deserve it. That's what Jesus is going to do sometimes. That's part of being a part of the, of, the, of, the, of the kingdom of the redeemed, part of being born again. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Oh, Jesus, I feel dangerous this morning. <laughs> I just feel dangerous. Because if I use a biblical word, I could be very dangerous. He said, you know, the people that aren't, that aren't disciplined, he called them bastards. That's his words, not mine. You know what that means? That means illegitimate child. That means if I'm really a child of God, sometimes he's going to spank me. I don't even know. I don't even know where this came from. I got to get back to my notes. Maybe I can be safer there. Be safer. It's dangerous preaching right here because it's true because I can't just put a dime in the meter and stay stuck with where I'm at in my present spiritual walk. Oh. God, I think, just wants to stir a couple of people. And sometimes he does that by poking you in the eye. He just poke you in the eye sometimes. Say, come on, grow up, would you? Would you just stop it? Would you stop being a big, big baby? Some people have been in church a long time and they're just great big babies. Here's some Kleenex for you. No, but we got to grow up in Christ. There are things we grow up in Christ. Sometimes, sometimes it's his commandments. Listen, God loves you the way that you are. And you ought to thank God for that this morning, that he loves you where you are. He loves you where you are. If he didn't, none of us would have ever got into that tank. None of us would have ever had the opportunity to ever experience salvation. But he loves us in our mess. He loves us in our junk. Yes, he does. He loves us in the pit. Pen. But can I tell you, he's going to clean you up. He's going to pick you up. He's going to transform you. He's going to help you. He's going to train you. He's going to teach you. That's why you can't stay a baby in Christ forever. In fact, I just got to do this. I just got to do this because I feel reckless. We have, listen, tonight we have PM Live. Every Sunday night we have PM Live. And there are some of you that come to service in the morning and you don't even think about coming to church at night. And you've done it so long that you think it's okay. 
If you're a part of the body of Christ, you're going to align yourself with the people of God. I feel bold here this morning. <laughs> well, well, I'm just a morning person. Well, that's fine. That's fine for, for a time period. But if you've been around this church five years and you're just a Sunday morning saint, you're a baby. And you got to grow up. And God wants you to grow up. And God wants to, you to get past some things. You're five years in, you're not going to still be smoking dope. Seven years in, you're not still going to be, you know, hitting a little this and that. I don't even know where I'm at right now. Jesus help me. I'll try to get back to the, to, to the message, okay? Because if you love God, listen, you're going to keep his commandments. Don't tell me, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. Hey, want to go get stoned? No, you don't love Jesus. Not like you need to. And God will work with us and he'll love us and he'll mature us and he'll challenge us and he'll bring adversity into your life. He'll allow trouble to come. He'll allow all this because he's trying to grow us. He's trying to, he wants full grown members of the body of Christ that are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, that have the word in their heart, that have holiness in their life, that put on the whole armor of God, that are assets to the kingdom of God and not just liabilities. All right, I'm going to leave that alone. Okay, let me get back to my message. I don't even know how I ended up there. I'll call it inspiration. All right. God wants to help you. That's why. And he wants you to grow strong in the Lord. Amen. Don't sit in the halfway house forever. Get out of the halfway house. Get into the kingdom all the way. Live for God wholeheartedly. Live for God. I can't get away from it. Live for God on fire. Don't be a back row saint. Now, I realize some people sit in the back row and it's nothing personal. I get that. You know what I mean? When I say back row saint, what I mean is somebody that's uncommitted. I mean somebody that's lukewarm, somebody that's just on the periphery. Get off the periphery. Get out of the window. Because Eutychus, if you don't get out of the window, you're going to fall out of the window. And when you fall out of the window, you, you, you break your neck and you die. And God doesn't want anybody to die. It's not what he has for us. God wants maturity in our lives and growth in our lives and wholeness in our lives. And for us to get past some things in our lives. If it's the same thing, it's always tripping you and me up. Then we got to get over it in Jesus' name. I'm going to fast my way through it. I'm going to pray my way. I'm going to get past this because I'm going to be a strong child of God. Because he loved me. I'll love him back. He deserves that out of my life. Because I love him. Because he loves me, I'll love him back with obedience to his, to his word. And it's not grievous. It's a blessing to my life. All right. That was John. Back to my story. That was John. We took a detour. Right? Jesus, why don't you call down fire from heaven? Fry them crispy critters. They're a bunch of jerks. They're jerkheads. They're idiot faces. Kill these guys. Just... And he's like, John, John, my boy, throttle back, you son of thunder. Throttle back, my boy. And then 
we find John at the end of his ministry, right? Probably A.D. 95, they say. Could be. Conjecture. Could be. Toward the end of his life, he's now an old man. And he's now got a crick in his back. And his, and, and his hair is gone and what's left is white. And, he, and, he, and he's writing back to the church. And he, he says, he, this is how he talks. You ready? Little children. Little children. Love one another. <laughs> Wait a second. John? Son of thunder? You've mellowed a little bit. No. He grew in maturity is what he did. Oh, God. Because the love that God showed to him matured in him and now he said because I love God I love you oh Jesus help me I got to get in this message one is reminded of the words of the saint of old who penned the following lines on the walls of his prison cell regarding the love of God and I quote could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, the love of God. We are recipients of the love of God. We have received the love of God. If I am saved today, it is the love of God. It's the love of God. That's why I'm here today is the love of God. And so I would say this. The foundation of our love for others is his love for us. Matter of fact, I can't love others unless I know that God has loved me. God wants us to grow in this. The highest Christian values are truth. Can you say truth? Are truth and love. They're the highest Christian values, according to John. First John chapter 4. Truth, you love me, keep my commandments. Love. If you love me, love one another. He went as far as to say this. If you don't love your brother, you abide in death. I can't say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But man, I hate your guts. Oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But man, that one jerk face in the church, I don't, I, I hate that guy. Right? He's saying there's an incompatibility. He's saying that, that when I grow and mature in his love, then I turn around and I love others. But can we be honest here today? I always tell my kids that. They'll say things like, how do they say it? I'll say, I'm just being honest, or what's the other word they'll use? I use the word honestly. That's the one that drives me nuts. I'll say honestly. I said, don't tell me honestly, because that's assuming that other things you're saying are not honest. If you're always honest, you don't have to say honestly. So I say candidly. That's just free. That's just free. Okay, can we say candidly that one of the great challenges of life is human relationships? Oh, man. I am so on target this morning. I am so 100% on target this morning. You know why? Because I'm human. And so are you. Love one another, love one another. That preach is really good. But it lives out pretty tough. Because one of the greatest challenges in life, 
In fact, some of you right now, as I'm preaching right now, I could say, man, there are people you got, and all of a sudden flashing in your mind, there's, there's pictures of people flashing in your mind. There's situations of people in your life. You don't even know. You don't even know, preacher. Because one of the greatest challenges of life is human relationships. A little poem. It's on a tombstone. Sacred to the memory of Elisha Philbrook and his wife, Saran. Beneath these stones do lie, back to back, my wife and I. When the last trumpet the air shall fill, if she gets up, I'll just lie still. Human relationships. A man was crying over a gravestone saying, why did you die? Why did you? Oh, why did you die? Another man questioned him. Did your mother die? No. Your father died? No. Oh, why did you die? Why did you die? He's crying. Well, who died? He said, this was my wife's first husband. Two men were talking. He said, uh, I got this poodle for my wife. <laughs> yes, the other said, sure wish I could trade mine in for something like that. <laughs> Human relations. Uh, bump, bump, bump. That's terrible. I know it's terrible. That's why I'm preaching it. It's terrible. People don't get along. It is terrible. It's terrible rotten. <laughs> Be an altar... Go home and, and you just, you know, it's like flames coming out of your mouth, melting the walls, melting the people in the home. It's like, oh, I love Jesus. And I know, man, it's just real. It's just real life. That's what I love about this church because I just, I just like being real. It's like, you know, you get in the car, some of you family members, if we, you, you, you would never want there to be like a, a speaker inside of your car on the way to church. <laughs> You get sure praise the Lord. God bless you, brother. Good to see you. Am I, am I right? Some of you are like, I should not even go to church. I'm just, I'm backslid. I just, I hate my kids. I hate my wife. I hate my dog. I hate my house. I hate, I hate the weather. I hate everybody. I hate everything. Praise the Lord. Good to see you this Sunday. It's real. I mean, I, obviously it's hyperbole. I mean, I, I get it. But human relationships are a challenge. Dr. Martin McIntyre shares a personal note from many years ago when his small daughter was young. The Potomac, Maryland dentist refused to allow his daughter to go to the pool for the third time in one day. Three times, she goes, Daddy, can I go to the pool? Nope. Daddy, can I go to the pool? Nope. Daddy, can I go to the pool? Nope. He said no, and that was that. So the next evening, her name was Sarah, by the way, age six, Something about six, the age six, wrote a note in red pencil and left it on her daddy's pillow. It said, Daddy, I hate you. And it signed, Love Sarah. <laughs> True story. Do, do, do you get the contradiction of human relationships? Daddy, I hate you. Love Sarah. Love Sarah. I am holding in my hands witness and testimony of the fact. This is actual. I've kept it over all these years. I was scrambling this morning to find it. I think I've shared it before, but it is so potent and, and I think applicable to what we're talking about today. This is a note that my daughter wrote. This is Brianne. Brianne is now 21 years old. She was six. She is so poignant. I mean, amazing. You can see the little, the little lettering. This was on January. I was six. 
She actually had the foresight to realize there was a day she was going to look back on this moment. I was six, she says. I hate Sarah and Mariah and Chelsea. I thought I saw Chelsea. And Chelsea, she's six. I hate Sarah. I have no idea what happened. It had to have been bad because she hates everybody. I hate Sarah and Mariah and Chelsea and Brooklyn and Tucker (laughs) and Caleb, (laughs) my brother. I hate him and I love God. And mom and dad. Dad's in the, in the mix there. See that? Yeah. Evidently, I didn't get on her bad side. Good God, you do not want to be on her bad side. I love God and mom and dad and Brianne herself. And Jalen with a backward J. This was a notepad that we had in our house. And it was a cute little notepad, of course. We're Christian people. So on the bottom, it had 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. And at the bottom, she scribbled it out. I hate Brooklyn, I hate Chelsea, I hate Tucker. And then she writes on the back here, you flip it over, and this was like the, love sometimes fails. (laughs) The human condition. Right here. Perfectly and poignantly illustrated. Love sometimes fails. One of the great challenges of life is human relationships. The thing is, what I love about the Bible is the Bible is so candid, the Bible is so real. And, you know, within the pages of this precious book, hey, it's, it's, it's bare bones, brawling at times. You, you have Cain, who jealously kills his brother, the first homicide in the Bible. One brother killing another brother. How horrible is that? You have Jacob and Leah, their fractured marriage. That amazing to me still produced a nation. You have David's jealous brothers. Is is it the naughtiness of your heart, David, that you're here? You're just trying to be a show off. You just come in here and he's like, literally the Bible, if you read Samuel 17, the Bible says he turned from his brothers. Because sometimes people don't understand you. They don't get you. They'll they'll misunderstand your motives. And he just, and here's his brother. Oh, what's, what's, what's really behind all of this? And he's just like, well... The Bible is full of broken people and broken relationships. You literally have the star preacher of Pentecost, the apostolic preacher that brings to us the mighty message of salvation in the second chapter of Acts. And yet we find him a few days before pulling out a sword and whacking a guy's ear off. That was real. Sunday school kids. How are you going to portray that? Hey, talk to Mike and Krista. We're going to have a little example. Here's Peter. Here's Peter. 
He's a fisherman. Because if he was a soldier, he would have split that guy right down the middle of his head. He wasn't very proficient. But he whacked the guy's ear off. And there's blood coming out of the side of his head. And there's an ear laying on the ground. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Yeah, you, how compatible is that with, with stinking cutting a guy's ear off? What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying here this morning. God expects us to do better with his help. He expects us. If we love God, he expects us to love each other. This God of love wants the people that he created to love, to love others. She was 15, he was 17 when they met. All through high school, they dated. After high school, it was not a surprise to anyone they were married. Four years later, she was standing in her kitchen with a stack full of dirty dishes piled in the sink, two children screaming at her feet in a pile of dirty clothes in the corner. Tears streaming down her face full of depression, she took off her apron. She walked out on her husband and her two children. She called that night. How are the children, she asked. He told her. She hung up the phone that night, but it wasn't long until she called back. She called almost every week, every day for the next three months. Her husband began to plead with her. Please come home, honey. I miss you. The children miss you. He would tell her how much he loved her. He would tell her how much that he missed her. He would tell her whatever he had done wrong, he would try to fix it. And the last thing he would try to find out before she hung up the phone was her location. Where are you at, honey? But every time that the conversation turned to her whereabouts, she would hang up in his face. Finally, this young husband could take it no longer. He took their life savings. He hired a private detective to help him find his wife. The detective reported shortly thereafter that they found her. The runaway wife was in a third-rate hotel in Des Moines, Iowa. So the young man borrowed money from his in-laws and his family. He bought a plane ticket. He flew to Des Moines, Iowa, took a cab to her hotel, climbed the stairs to his wife's rooms in this sleazy hotel on the third floor. With doubt in his eyes, sweat on his forehead, his trembling hand reached to knock on the door, and as he began to knock on the door, his wife opened the door. And when he saw her face, he forgot his prepared speech. He simply said, we love you so much, won't you please come home? She fell apart in his arms. They went home together, and the marriage began to heal. Weeks later, one evening, after all this transpired, the children were in bed, and he and his wife were sitting in the living room talking about the problems and how they were going to fix them. And finally, he got the courage to ask her the question that had been plaguing his mind all along, that had literally haunted him for months. He asked, why wouldn't you come home when I asked you? Why didn't you understand how much me and the kids meant to you and loved you? And with profound simplicity, she said, because those were only words, but then you came. Those were only words, but then you came. I am so thankful today. God gave us words for a long time. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. But then he came. Then he 
came. The faithful testimony of Scripture, and probably the most oft-quoted Scripture in all of Christianity, John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world, are you ready? That he did nothing. For God so loved the world that he played it safe. For God so loved the world that he stayed silent. For God so loved the world that he did nothing. Is that what the scripture says? That's not what the scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he condescended. For God so loved the world that he came in the form of a baby at a Bethlehem manger. For God so loved the world that he put up with the cruelty. For God so loved the world that he came unto his own and his own received him not. For God so loved the world that he put up with rejection. For God so loved the world that he put up with mess. For God so loved the world that he allowed them to spit in his face. For God so loved the world that he allowed them to put nails into his wrists and into his feet. For God so loved the world that he allowed them to hoist him between heaven and earth until he screamed out in anguish. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He so loved the world that he forgave the woman that was taken in adultery. For God so loved the world that he healed the sick. For God so loved the world that he spoke to us. For God so loved the world that he gave and 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 he gave. For God so loved the world. What are you preaching, Pastor, this morning? I'm trying to make a connection with us today out of the scripture. Listen, genuine love must be expressed. It's, it, if you don't get anything else I say today, true love must be expressed. It has to be. By nature and virtue of what true love is, true love must be expressed. It has to be expressed. One of the greatest gifts I've ever received, this is from, I think I've again shared this before. What's that? Where is she at? Ta! A girl is here. I didn't know that. Glad you're here, Brooklyn. I love my girl. She gave me this gift. And this was, and, and the thing is, some, some gifts, the more that, that you, you know, some, we get gifts, we have, oh, cool, nice gift. This is a gift upon observation. The more observation I've made of this gift, I took it out the other week. I took it out. I was in my office. I took the top off. And this, this was given, and it, and it says, 20 things I love about you. And it's got a picture on all three other sides of me in, in Brooklyn. And I open this thing up, and on the inside of this, there's all kinds of other pictures on the inside that she must have glued. I have no idea how many hours, dozens of hours, she must have spent taping pictures memories and and things like that and then she cut out 20 things i mean this this is a heart that is cut out that's been laminated i'm sorry i don't have the patience for that <laughs> i love you a lot too but <laughs> probably not gonna do that <laughs> i'll write you a nice little card <laughs> but there's an infinite number of things I love about you. Here's 20 of them. Reason number one. And, you know, here's this laminated card. It's got all this stuff. And I read through this and I'm like, how long did it take her to, to think up all these things? I mean, I can think of, you know, I mean, man, it's easy to think of one or two things, but 20 things? I mean, I'm a good guy, but 
I don't know about that kid. And it's, it was one thing after another, and it was one thing after another, it was one thing after another, and it's wrapped all up, put into a gift. And, and what, what, are you, what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is real love has to be expressed or it's not love. So I love so much. I love so much. I don't ever show it. Then you don't really love. Challenge me. Challenge me. You might need to think through this theologically. I challenge you to challenge me. Challenge me in the book. Can a person love God and never show it? Can a person love someone else and never show it? No, I would, I would, my supposition out of the scripture is that when we love someone, that love has to be expressed. And love that is not expressed is not love. Can you really love someone and never manifest it? Can you genuinely love someone and never show and shine through? Could you? You say, well, we got married 33 years ago, and I told her on the day that we got married that I love you. Isn't that enough? Well, all right, let me give you the book. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. What's the litmus test? How do we know? So how do I know if I've passed from death to life? At least one characteristic. It's not the only one, but it's one of them. How do I know? If we love who? The brothers. He, John goes as far. Remember John? Now he's, he's got the crook back, and now he, he's like, okay, guys. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Of course, John's an extremist, right? We talked about that. But he's telling the truth. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. He's like, okay, here's my, here's my example. Here's my metaphor and illustration. Here's how we perceive the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you get it? Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Because of what he did for me, I now reflect that love outwardly and I love others. The way that I can know that I'm walking in his love is that when I then manifest that love to others, I love you. And then 17, I like how he says this. Whoso hath this world's good. Anybody know what that is? That's just like stuff. That's like the ability to meet needs. Whoever has this world's good and seeth his brother have need. So again, he's saying, because he manifests his love to me, the way that I can reflect his love is by loving others. And then he says, okay, now we're going to make it real. Whosoever looketh and see that his brother or sister... Somebody that's a part of the family of God has need. And notice this terminology. We could have a lot of fun with it. I won't. Shutteth up his bowels of compassion. You need to get your bowels moving. Some of y'all need some spiritual X-lax. Because <laughs> y'all, some of you are constipated. 
When's the last time that I took concern for someone else? When's the last time I looked out for more of the numero uno? When's the last time I really got serious about this love of God thing and realized it's not, this world does not revolve just around me singularly and solely. The entire planet does not revolve around me. There's more to this world than me and mine. As he said right here, he said, whoever sees his brother has need and shutteth up the bowels of compassion from him. That's a dangerous thing. Bowel obstruction. If you've ever had one, you wouldn't be laughing. Painful. You could die of that. Do you know that? People in the ancient world used to die from that bowel obstruction. That's bad. Constipated. How dwelleth the love of God in him? See what, see what he's doing? He's making it plain. He's like, oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I love you, Jesus, so much. My brother's starving to death. He ain't eating three weeks, but God bless you. The Lord bless you. If I see someone else in need, and I, how, he said, how, and, and I don't have any sense of compassion whatsoever to, to give a rip about anybody but me. He said, how in the world could I say the love of God dwells in me? So that's just, that's just insane. He said, my little children, let us love, not love in just word, but let us neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Let's thank God for that. So, love expressed is a powerful thing. And fundamentally, we're growing as a church here. We're growing as people in the kingdom of God. Fundamentally, this is how we show the heart of Christianity. The way that I can know the love of God is in me is when I begin to reflect it to others. I start looking for others' needs. I start caring about other people than just me. When I see someone that's hurting, I'm going to be there to try to be a salve. If I see someone that's, that's missing, I'm going to care enough to reach out to them. If, if I see someone that's struggling, I'm going to be there to lend a, a helping hand if someone has got physical needs in their life, I'm going to be benevolent like my Father in heaven, and I'm going to be there on their behalf to be a blessing unto them. That's how we know that we have passed from death unto life. When we love the brethren, that's how we know when we manifest it in our deeds and how we act toward our family of God. Can you lift your hands to the Lord? Hallelujah, Holy Ghost. Deposit this truth into us, Lord. Jesus, I'm not all that I can be, but I want to be better, Lord. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Let the spotlight of your presence and spirit, Lord, be across all of our lives. Help us to grow in love. In the name of Jesus, thank you for this great church. Thank you for this great family of God. But Lord, we want to be like our Father in heaven. We want to be like our God. Help us to love the way you love. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Put your hands together and magnify the Lord. I'm about done. I'm about done. Evie Hill pastored 
for years the largest Baptist church in the country. During the civil rights era, the blacks were angry with him because he was fellowshipping with the whites. In the city, the whites were angry because he was running with the blacks. When the whites were wrong, he'd tell them, and when the blacks were wrong, he'd tell them. He was not really liked on either side. Both sides, different radical individuals of both parties, he would get threatening phone calls from different radicals throughout the night. One night, the phone rang. <clears throat> Answer the phone, uh-huh, yes, that doesn't bother me. Well, I'm not stopping. He asked the question, honey, who was that? Well, that was just a phone call from the church. It was not. That was so-and-so and so-and-so, and they said, tomorrow they're going to blow up my car. They ate, they went to bed. The next morning while she was asleep, he got up very early, got ready and put on his suit of clothes. He headed to work. He slipped through the room down to the garage, the garage door. He opened the door to the garage and the main garage door was wide open and the car was gone. He stood there for a moment. He, he looked, where did my car go? He looked down the street looking for his car and there it came swiftly coming down the road toward him, turned swiftly into the garage and it stopped. Behind the wheel was his wife. He said, what in the world are you doing in my car? She said, after the phone call last night, I love you so much that if the car was going to blow up, I wanted it to be me before it was you. So I, I test drove your car. Hmm. He said, from that day till the day she died, he said, I never had to ask my wife if she loved me because that one act demonstrated a lifestyle that they lived out as husband and wife. I love you. I'll protect you. I'll cover for you. I'll take care of you. When I am preaching to this church this morning, we who are recipients of such life-changing love, magnanimous love, can I just make an invitation today to say, what do you say that we all get on this great big godly journey together? Can, can we do that together? We're, we're, we're a community of faith together. What do you say we love God? And what do you say as we love God? Until he comes back for us, what do you say that we love one another? Can we agree to that? Can we agree to that? That that's what we're going to do? We're going to love one another? Stand together with me this morning.